Good morning. Let me begin by thanking Pastor Dave and Johan for preaching for me the last couple weeks. I know that uh, you all enjoyed uh, those sermons, so thank you so much, uh, Dave and Johan. Where's Johan? There you are. Thank you so much for preaching. Um, we had a wonderful time, Stephanie, and I had, um, we had a nice week away uh, in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we're uh, going to, Lord willing, I'll be transferring my school there. It's an online program, but you will have to go up and visit uh, time to time for a week at a time, usually about two weeks a year at different times. So we had a nice time while we were there, and uh, we had a nice time away from the children. You know how they, it began, the week began with us saying we were really afraid that we were going to get there and want to come home immediately. That did not happen. It was amazing. It was interesting. The, the place we stayed was an Airbnb, which, by the way, don't even, don't even try and get a hotel. Get an Airbnb. They're so much better. But it was an apartment complex, and it was so neat. The, the hallway smelt exactly like our old hallway when we first got married. And it was the apartment complex. The apartment itself was almost identical to our apartment. And Stephanie and I never took a honeymoon. It was interesting that uh, the honeymoon that we kind of had this past week was like being back in our old apartment. It was very interesting. Well, thank you for your prayers, and we had a safe trip back, and um, I just appreciate all of that. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come to you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. What a privilege to even be talking to you right now and to know that you hear us. To not only know that you hear us, but that you hear us as a father hears his son and his daughters. To know that right now, that not only do you hear us as sons and daughters, but that you answer our prayers. That you know what's best for us as sons and daughters. That you discipline us as sons and daughters. That you work all things together in our lives, even those things which we think are awful moments and truly are, you are working together for good. And so we put that trust in you as a child puts trust in a father who does not understand why they are being disciplined. We understand that you are greater and know better than we do. And so Lord, help us today to put that faith in you as a father. We are so privileged to have this access to you that was purchased for us on the cross of Calvary by Jesus Christ. Father, it is my prayer this morning that those who have a false religion, a religion in which they believe they are saved, but have not yet accepted Christ as Savior, there are some here today who need to understand and who need to believe and who you need to work in their heart giving them new life by your Holy Spirit, that Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. That the only access we have to you is through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So Lord, it is my prayer that you will use me this morning to speak and to preach your word carefully, to preach your word truly, and to proclaim your word boldly. 
work in the hearts of the people here today. And you, let your word go where you send it and accomplish that which you please. May you be pleased with our worship this morning. Amen. The last time we met, we spoke about the topic of God and the covenant. And we talked about a covenant as an agreement between two parties. And I, I told you that I didn't necessarily love the word agreement because it left us with the impression that God came to us and that we were going to enter into an agreement as if it was a negotiation. As if we were sitting on the side of a table and we were sliding, God was sliding his offer over to us and we were sliding our offer back to him. You know, that's what a lot of people think true religion is today, that they will give God their demands. And if God meets those demands, they'll continue to worship him. That's often today how we sell the church. We sell the church to people in such a way that you can come and have an experience and that you can come and have fellowship and have community and you can come and learn to have a better life or your best life now. And we do that all on human beings' own terms, but we see that the testimony of Scripture is different. That if we are going to have worship with God, we are going to come on His terms. I mean, think about the many terrifying examples in Scripture. Take, for instance, Exodus 20, where the Jews have received the covenant of God. God has spoken to them, and he has warned them, do not draw near to the mountain of God. The mountain at this moment is on fire, by the way, completely covered in smoke. You might say, well, I mean, why would anyone want to go and see it? Well, you see multiple times in Scripture where people are begging to see the glory of God. But it says that the people were so afraid that they begged for a mediator because to be in God's presence is a terrifying thing. And I, I also think today about the way that we talk so nonchalantly, so cavalierly about how we might have relationship with God and how God perhaps spoke to us. People tell all the time, they say that they have spoken with God. I remember a funny story one time. John MacArthur, someone once told him that God spoke to him in the morning while he was shaving. And MacArthur's response was, did you quit shaving? And he said, no. He said, then that wasn't God. I thought that was a good way of describing the terror and angst it is to be before the presence of the holy God. When God appeared to Paul, when Christ the Lord appeared to Paul in his glory on the road to Damascus, Paul fell down on his face instantly and cried out, Who are you, Lord? When Peter was made aware that he was standing in the presence of God's Son on the boat after Christ had told him to throw his nets on the other side, the response from Peter was, Get away from me, for I am unclean. It's a terrible thing to stand in the presence of God. But it is certain death to stand in the presence of God without a mediator. This morning we're going to talk about the next process. It's the specific way in which the new covenant that we've entered into, the new agreement with God that we've entered into, how it has been wrought, how it has been purchased or fulfilled. And we're going to talk about Christ as the one and only mediator. Let me explain what a mediator is. In its most basic sense, a mediator is a person who seeks to reconcile two opposing parties. 
comes from the Latin word medius, meaning the middle. The Greek word is actually mestis or mestises, and it's a contraction of two words, mesos, meaning middle, and ami, meaning to go. And you see this word also as intermediary in the New Testament, and it refers as a go-between. Uh, if I can give a, a human illustration, when you were in high school and you were too afraid to ask the girl out, you would say to your friend, Ely, go and ask that girl out for me. You would go up and you, you remember Ely Warren? And so I, we were best friends, and I'd say, Ely, go and ask this girl out. Ely was, Ely is um, a naturally good-looking man, if I can just say that. He is a good-looking guy, and I would say, Ely, I'm too afraid to ask her out. See her over there. I need you to go do it for me. And he would walk over to the girl, and he'd say, hey, girl, <laughs> would you like to go out with my friend? And the girl would say, no, but I would like to go out with you. So I stopped using Ely as my mediator. I learned that that wasn't going to work very well. But I needed a go-between. A, a better example might be when you're, when you're feuding. Uh, you go through uh, arbitration sometimes where you need a neutral third party to stand in between two parties who are at an impasse. And this person comes in and they bring reconciliation. And that's an example. It's not exactly the way, however, the mediation between God and man works. One thing we must remember when we begin to talk about the mediatorial role of Christ, his intercession, the way he brings uh, God and man together, is that man is holy. That means W-H-O-L-L-Y, completely Passive in the matter. This is completely God's work to reconcile us back to him. 100%, not 99, but 100%. It is the Father who initiates the mediator. It is Christ who comes in the flesh as the mediator. And it is the Holy Spirit who gives us or enables us to receive the covenant. In the Old Testament, the mediators were the priests, whose sole job was to be the mediators of the Old Covenant, the covenant, or what we might know as the Mosaic Covenant, specifically known through the Ten Commandments. One of the first things you note about the covenant is that God swears to them that if they keep this covenant, they will be his people. And he says, I'm going to set you apart. You're going to be a holy nation. Holy, separate. You're going to be sanctified. You're going to be, you're going to be clean. And then immediately he begins to put in a process for a sacrificial system. Because he knows that man's not going to be able to stand before him without sacrifice. He's going to need a mediator, someone to go between. And so the priests would offer sacrifices at the tabernacle or at the temple daily for their sins. 
And so in the Old Testament, this was their role. They themselves were to be consecrated by the sacrifices of animals offered on the altar before God. So even the priests were not holy. One thing we ought to all remember whenever we see the black collar with the white little tab here, or when you see me in a suit coat, we need the same sacrificial atonement for our sins that you need. It's one of the reasons why... When I take the Lord's Supper, I come out to be with you all. I want you to know I receive the same bread the way you do. I'm not any better. As one of my pastoral friends said a couple weeks ago, he said, I'm above you, but that's only to, so that you might see me when I speak. But it has nothing to do with our equality before God. There is no partiality before God. We are all saved by the shed blood of Christ Jesus. No one is better. And even the priest, they, they, weren't, they weren't holier men. They needed consecration too. That means they needed to be set apart. I don't know what's going on with our screen here. I'm sorry about that. They needed to be splattered with the blood of a ram which had carried the sins of the priest. They would lay their hands on the, on the ram and they would be consecrated. Then the blood of a second ram that they had uh, transferred their sins onto was to be sacrificed. And its blood was to be taken and placed on the tip of their right ear, to be placed on the tip of their thumb, and to be placed on the toes, the major toes of both of their feet. They were to be cleansed. This was only for Levites who were of the tribe of Aaron. And this was of Aaron and his sons. The rest of the sacrifice, when you read in Exodus about how this occurred, how the priests were sanctified, was a complete violent cutting, burning, uh, uh, ripping, tearing, offering of each part of the animal in a precisely set way. The blood being used in a precise way, splattered across the sides and the front of the altar, uh, placed on the horns of the altar, that certain parts of the animal, its insides uh, that, that included the intestines, were to be burnt outside because they were unclean, and they were to make an atonement for the sin outside the tent. Others were to be used inside the tent. It is highly specific. It is bloody. It is very serious. And it is all to show that if you are going to come before God, it is a serious matter. And even the priests themselves had to go through this. The priests had to be holy before they approached a holy God. They were the mediators of the covenant through whom all the people of Israel would receive forgiveness for their sin. But this covenant was faulty. It was faulty. Not because of anything in and of itself. It wasn't that the covenant itself had failed. This covenant is actually a perfect covenant. As Christ said, I, I didn't come to abolish this covenant. I came to fulfill this covenant. Because the fault with the first covenant was in us, not in God's agreement with us. When God says... Thou shalt not, and thou shalt, he really meant them. He wasn't saying it with a wink. 
He expected us to not only keep it, but to keep it perfectly. But he also knew perfectly that we would not keep it. And behind the scenes that we now have access through the one word of God, the 66 books of the Bible, one narrative that shows us that what God had intended from before the foundation of the world through the covenant of redemption, was to send his son to fulfill the covenant on our behalf, to live under the law, and to be offered as a sacrifice for sin. He was the perfecter of our covenant. This old covenant could not procure the absolute forgiveness of sins and restoration of our relationship with God. You know, one of the the things we have to understand when we open up the Bible is we have to begin with, so so many times you get, this is just just something that happens with Christians, it happens with a lot of people, is that we get lost in the forest. We, 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 We get lost in the trees despite the forest. So we focus on the little things of the Bible and we miss the big picture. One of the most tragic verses in all of Scripture is found in Genesis 3 where God asked Adam, Where are you? God had never asked Adam that question. God hadn't lost him, of course. He knew right where Adam was in his location. But Adam was now separated from God. Adam's response is, I heard your voice. I was afraid. There was never this tension before God. Now now note this. I was afraid. Note Peter's posture before Jesus Christ. Get away from me. He was afraid. Note Isaiah before the throne of God. I'm an unclean man. I have unclean lips and I dwell with an unclean people. They are terrified of God now. That is really our relationship. And by the way, if you're not terrified of God, it's because you don't know him. To know him is to be terrified of him. We've tried to, in our churches in America, we've tried to pitch off a God who is, we can, we can handle. A milk God. He's easy. He wants what's best for us. He wants to give us our best life now. He's concerned about if you give, if you give 100, you're going to get back 1,000. You know that, that that charismatic movement has over half a billion people? Half a billion people in the world follow that crap. This idea that God's whole existence is to give you more and more here so you can waste it on your earthly pleasures. But the God of the Bible, to be in his presence without a mediator? Think about Adam. Adam and God, when when they're there, he ought to be afraid. There's no mediator. He better go and hide. The Bible tells us that those, when God returns to the earth in Revelation, that when he returns to the earth again to judge it, that the people are actually Hiding underneath the mountains, begging, listen to this, begging for the rocks to fall on them. You ever ever thought about 
begging for an avalanche to crush you. It's to show that the presence of God is such an awesome and such a terrifying thing when you are under his wrath, when you are out from under the mediatorial role of Jesus Christ, that you would beg for rocks to crush your bones rather than face his glory. This is a serious thing. And God immediately begins to show his grace to us. With Adam, he sacrifices animals that they might be clothed. With Moses, he gives him the task of being Israel's first mediator. He draws out for himself a people according to his own divine will. God from first to last, shows his grace and that he is going to bring us back into his presence. This is where we are today. Hebrews 8, 7, and 9 says this, For if the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. For he finds fault with them when he says. Now notice that it says there, he finds fault with them. So when God looks at us and he looks at the covenant, he finds fault not with the language of the covenant, but with us. What God always wanted was for us to take his law, the chief law of God, the, the greatest commandment was to love God with all of our being. And the second one is like that, to love our neighbor as ourself. And not to simply follow rituals. And some Christian uh, sects are very good at following rituals. They do all of this. They, they make sure that they do everything and they say Hail Marys and so on and so forth. That's not what God wants. He doesn't want rote worship. He wants it to pour out of your heart. He's looking for a real love. Who was it who sang that song? You, you, you were singing it in your head, right? I looked right at you. I'm searching for a real... Was it Mary J. Blige? All right, y'all. Somebody's getting it over here. Someone to make my heart feel love. I love that song. Anyway, some of you don't know this about me. I actually love R&B music. Yeah, I can get down. Um, he wants a real love. Jesus comes and takes the Ten Commandments and he brings them now to the Pharisees and he says, you never kept the covenant the way God wanted you to keep it because not only do you, okay, so you didn't murder, but you, you hate your brother in your heart. On the outside, you look pretty and polished, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. There's no real religion. And so the problem with the first covenant is that it can't be kept by us. It says, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant. And so I showed no concern for them, declares the Lord. The old covenant, because of our inability, could not be kept by us. It couldn't be kept by Jews, and it can't be kept by you. And all of those 
All of us, whether you believe in God or not, whether you want to make Christianity your religion or whether you believe in the God of the Bible, that, that, that will not matter on the day of, a, uh, of the day of judgment when you stand before God. God's not going to ask you, what religion did you fancy? Oh, oh you were a Buddhist? You're good. Just uh, follow the, the path of Dharma and you'll be fine or whatever it is. Oh, you were, uh, you were a Hindu? Well, follow the Upanishads and you'll be fine. No. You are all under the covenant. You are all under God's wrath apart. The wrath that's either written on the tablets that you know about, and every one of you know about that, or the, the law that's written on your heart. Either way, God's going to judge you as guilty under those covenants. Hebrews seven twenty six through 28. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy and innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily for his own sins and then for the, those who, uh, of the people, since he did this once and for all when he offered up himself. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath, which came later than the law, appoints a son who has been made perfect forever." God has come to the world with a new covenant today. See, all that bad news about there being a covenant separation, on whole, uh, uh, us being in, in sin and under the wrath of God, under the old covenant, our inability to keep it. God now comes to us with Christ and says that what happened 2,000 years ago, once and for all, when Christ, who was born and lived a perfect life under the law, for us, the life we couldn't live, Adam was sent on our behalf. He was going to be the, the leader of the, new, of the first covenant. He failed. All of us in Adam died. But Christ was sent, and Christ lived perfectly. And now all those who are in Christ will live. Romans 5, 12 and 28. And so the new agreement, the new covenant... Is through a different mediator, the mediator of Christ Jesus. So a mediator in the Bible is the person who is set aside by men or by God who offers sacrifices on behalf of God's sinful people. The London Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, by the way, the, the, for those of you who aren't aware of confessions of faith... What a confession of faith is, is it tries to take themes that are big in the Bible and condense it into a summary form. It's very helpful to have a covenant. Uh, I recommend the London Baptist Confession of Faith, 1689. The Westminster Confession of Faith is also good. Uh, we just don't baptize infants. It says this about the mediator. It pleased God in his e eternal purpose to choose and ordain the Lord Jesus, his only begotten son, according to the covenant made between them both, to be the mediator between God and man, the prophet, priest, and king, head and savior of his church, and heir of all things, and judge of the world, unto whom he did from all eternity give a people to be his seed, and to be by him in time, to be, excuse me, and to be by him in time redeemed, called Justified, sanctified, and glorified. What I want to do is I want to unpack this this morning 
And then I want to draw some points of application. The first phrase I want to draw on is this phrase, it pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord. All good theology should begin with it pleased the Lord. What is theology? It's the study of God. We have this idea today that we walk up to the Bible and we're going to take out our blade and we're going to read through it. And all the parts that we like, we're going to let stand, but the parts that we don't like, we're going to cut it out of our Bible and we're going to put it over here and we're going to leave that religion for the past. Because after all, there are some good things in here, all of that stuff about love. I mean, I don't even know how we do weddings if it weren't for 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. But we're going to get rid of all this other stuff about judgment. All of this other stuff about the exclusivity of Christ, that Christ alone is Savior. We're going to get rid of that so that we can fit in today in our world. The, the great moral uh, uh, code of our day in, in secular society, and I don't mean that we believe this, I mean it is what our society believes. The great moral code today is diversity, whatever a person believes. And it's not diversity of skin color. Do, 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 not, do not get caught in that topical issue. It's not diversity of skin color. It's diversity of thought. It's diversity of truth. Look, bef- look around. Look around. Everybody look around. Let me see those heads moving around. We got plenty of color around here. We're good with that. What we must not have is plenty of thought on these essential truths. And the Bible begins, or at least this this particular section begins with, it pleased the Lord. Oh, I don't like, I don't like that. Well, But we come to the Lord humbly to receive his word and to trust him no matter what. He never asked the Israelites, do you like all of these covenants or should we work on something better? I mean, maybe with the adultery one, we'll let you just get a little bit of adultery. God, we've come back, we've looked at your covenant And uh, we find it lacking in several spaces. First off, we need to be able to steal and download illegal movies and music. Because after all, you can't expect us to pay for our music. So forget that covenant number eight. Can we change that commandment just a little bit? Because I need to lie on my taxes. Uh, What about number seven, God? We got to look at commandment number seven. Because after all, I mean, I am a man and I, I have to look. I just have to. I have to taste. I have to touch. And God, you know, this thing about murder, I know you say we're not to have anger towards our brother, but there's this guy who's a real jerk, and so can I hate him? Oh, not hate. Just can I strongly dislike him? Just a real strong dislike for him. That's not how it works. 
God says, if you keep my commands, you'll be my people. And guess what? If you don't, you won't. It pleased the Lord. Well, tell us why it pleased the Lord. Why didn't God make many different ways for many different people? Why would he do that? Because it didn't please him. That's not a good answer. It's the answer of the Bible. It pleased the Lord. We are to trust him. We are to acknowledge that he has greater knowledge and greater wisdom than we will ever, ever, ever come into. Just because you went to college does not mean that now you will be able to stand before God and say, you know, God, you should have included the Hindus and their religion. Not that we shouldn't include Indian people. But the diversity of thought is the problem. And the first thing God says, the first commandment is, there's one God. Don't make any fake images of me. You will worship me alone and you will worship me truly. Commandments one and two. You'll love me only. It pleased the Lord. Why did God send Christ? Because it pleased him. It was his choice and not ours. Well, what about Muhammad? Do a little study on the life of Muhammad. There's an actual answer for that in history. Why not Muhammad? But it didn't please the Lord. Please the Lord to send Christ. And to destroy him for us. It says here in Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. In fact, the, the King James says it pleased. That's what it actually means. It pleased the Lord to crush him, to crush Christ. Why? Because it pleased him. There's not an answer other than we know that God is holy. He is beyond us and he is good. And so if he did it, it's good. We don't stand with our finger pointed at God saying, you shouldn't have done that. He stands with his finger on us saying, I do what I please. And it pleased him to crush him. That is Christ. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. And the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It does not end with the fact that the Lord crushed the Savior. But it also pleased the Lord to give the Savior all glory. Every, everything that the Trinity does is selfless. Yes, the Son was crushed by the will of the Father, but the Father gave all glory, all of his glory to the Son. And the Holy Spirit calls all back to the Son. The Son would be the one who is glorified and worshipped and who will be forever praised and who will be the King of kings and Lord of lords. So yes, it pleased the, the Father to crush him, but it pleased the Father to make him the King who reigns for eternity. It pleased the Lord. This is the beginning of true worship because it puts the worshiper in the proper posture as the recipient of God's word rather than the creator of religion. You know, it's one beautiful thing about the Christian faith. It's not created by any human being. 
Moses is tending some sheep one day. And God calls out to him in a burning bush. Christianity begins with a humble Galilean who begins to proclaim the kingdom of God. It's all from God. It pleased the Lord refers to God's hidden plan based upon the holiness of his character and the wisdom of all he does. We must trust him. The, co the confession goes on to say, in his eternal covenant in accordance with the covenant made between them both. And so scripture talks about not only the covenants that go beyond between God and man, but also the covenant that went between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. One thing we ought to remember is that this is, I've heard, I've heard atheists say, the example, the, the cross is an example of cosmic child abuse. What? Blasphemy. The Bible tells us that it was the will of the Son to submit to the Father. Jesus says, my food is to do the will of the Father. It's what I live on. When God looked across the, the millennia of time and he looked for a mediator, it was Christ who called out in Hebrews 10, here I am. You have prepared a body for me because you did not desire the flesh of animals, but the flesh of God's Son. Through the eternal spirit, he has become the guarantor of a greater covenant. There was an agreement between God and Christ Jesus before the foundation of the world. Theologians call this the covenant of redemption. But this work of the covenant of redemption also involves the Spirit. It is the Father who initiates redemption. It is the Son who accomplishes redemption. And it is the Holy Spirit who applies redemption. Would that true religion would begin praising God. You know, one of the reasons why we come here and worship and sing praises to the Lord is because we are recognizing and acknowledging all that He has done. Not what we have done. Hebrews 10.5 says this. When Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. But then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will. Christ agrees to be crushed. O oh God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book, when he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. Christ has come to do the will of the Father. The Bible says about the priests in the Old Testament... Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, remember what Jesus said, no one takes my life from me, I lay it down. This is no child abuse. This is the son saying, crush me. So that you and I can have relationship with God. 
waiting from time to time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Bible also says, and the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. There comes a Jew by night, a friend of the Pharisees. He comes to, the Jew, to Jesus by night and he says to Jesus, Jesus, we know that you're a smart man. We know that you must come from the Lord because no one could do the things that you're doing. Uh, but but what, what do I have to do? How does this whole thing work out? And Jesus says to him, you, you've got to be born again if you want to be right with God. You've got to be born again. It's where this language of born again. I hear people make the distinction between Christian and born again Christian. Listen to me, there's no distinction. You're not a Christian if you're not born again. That is the birth of the Spirit. It is God pouring out his law on our hearts. You say, how do I know if I've been born by the Spirit? Do you love God? Do you love others? I say, not perfectly, and I hate it when I don't. That's an indication that you have the Spirit. That's why the Scriptures speak of the fruit of the Spirit. How do I know if I've been born again? Do you have love? Joy? Peace? Patience? Kindness? Goodness? Gentleness? Self-control? You say, no, I've, I've got a lot of other sins in my life. Well, that doesn't mean that you're not saved. It just means you will have no peace while you are living in sin. You will have no assurance of your salvation while you're living in sin. None. God will cause you to, God will, through the Holy Spirit, discipline you and break you down to get you to follow him and to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Remember what 1 Peter said. Be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure by increasing in the virtues of the Holy Spirit. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. How do you do that? You say, we can't do that. We can't please God. You can't, but in the Spirit you can. For it is God who works in you both to will and to act according to his purposes. The good news is today, believer, that you can please God if you are in the Spirit. But this is the covenant that God has made with us. The Father initiated it. It was his intention from before the foundation of the world that he would send his son into the world to be slain by men as a sacrifice for our sins, to raise from the dead, and to send his son or his spirit to plead with humans and to make humans in his image. The confession also says to be a mediator between God and man. This is how God has sent Christ. What is Jesus Christ? Some today say he is a great historical figure. He is a wise teacher. Man, when I open up the Bible and I read that turn the other cheek, you know, people who don't believe Jesus was God, one of their favorite books, one of their favorite passages is Matthew 5 through 7. They love the Sermon on the Mount because it's got all of these social teachings in it. Jesus is very popular today. Let me just tell you, Jesus is so popular today amongst people who are looking for a social justice warrior. 
Yeah, man. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Oh, he's on the side of the poor and oppressed. By the way, he is. But he saves rich people too. They love Jesus for this reason. He is, he's a great teacher. He, he taught great things. Is he the son of God? No, but the Bible tells us that he is the mediator between God and man. He is more than a teacher. He's not less, but he's so much more. He is prophet. He is priest. He is king. He is not merely prophet. 1 Peter 1, 19 through 20 says, but with the precious blood of Christ, you can't deny the sacrificial death of Christ, follow his teachings, and expect to be saved. You have to put faith in his sacrifice. With the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, he was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you. I'm sure the Israelites thought it was pretty dumb to bring a lamb in their, in their house and to love it and then to kill it after a set amount of days and then to take its blood and put it around the mantle of their door. I'm sure they thought, oh, my gosh, this is, what are we doing? Are we, am I seriously? I mean, imagine you're doing that on a Monday morning. People are jogging by. They're trying to get their work on it. Hey, how are you? And you're, hey, Bob, and you're painting your mantle with blood? But I bet they didn't think it was all that stupid when the death angel came and brought death to the firstborn of every Egypt in Egypt of every firstborn male. If you want to be saved, you have to be under the blood of Christ Jesus. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness for sins. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. The great Hebrew uh, prayer, the Shema of De Deuteronomy 6, says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord God, the Lord is one. That's an important central belief of Jewish worship. And Paul says here in 1 Timothy, Just as God is one, as that is important, so too the mediator is one, and his name is Christ Jesus. There is no other. 1 John 2.23 says this. No one who denies Jesus Christ the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. There is one mediator between God and man. You want to cry out to God this morning? You want to be heard by God? You want God to answer your prayer? You want to have relationship with him? It has to be on his terms. But you have to come through Christ or you don't come at all. This was God's intention. This is a famous picture. You've seen this. Well, you haven't seen it today. But if this thing would work, let me just take this moment to say we need you to tithe more. Um, there it is, famous Sunday school picture, but it does well in illustrating the point. There is a gap between, there is a gap between people and God, all human beings. 
And the only way to cross that is through Christ, the mediator. He's the bridge. There's not another bridge. Christ, Christ alone is the mediator. He is to be prophet. He is the priest. He is the king, the head and savior of his church, says the confession. Christ is a teacher, no question about it. To say that Christ is prophet is to fulfill what was prophesied in Deuteronomy 18, that there would be a prophet who came like Moses, but a prophet who's so much greater than Moses. Remember what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. Moses said, but I say, as if to say, you either go with me or you don't go nowhere. I say. Christ says is enough. He is also priest. You cannot take him as prophet and have salvation. You must take him as prophet and priest and king. As priest, he is the mediator of the new covenant. It is him, says the writer of Hebrews, who offered through his own flesh, who went through the heavenly places. He, he went through the, the, uh, all of the rituals that the priest would have gone through. He's saying this figuratively. In the temple that is in heaven to come to God, he offers as a priest without blemish. He doesn't need to atone for his sins because he is without sin. And he goes before God not only to offer sacrifice, but to offer himself as sacrifice. Was Muhammad God in the flesh? The writer of Hebrews says, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. Christ is the only one who has the eternal spirit. We shall call him Emmanuel, God with us. As, Jan, as John said, we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son of God, full of grace and truth. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. It tabernacled among us in the flesh of Jesus. The tent is contained, the eternal Spirit of God, the second person of the Trinity, the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only mediator. He is the priest of the new covenant. But do not forget this, he is also the King. We get caught up in politics today. I was watching this funniest TV or something, and this person had a picture of Donald Trump on it, and their dog was just growling at the TV, like this. That's how most of you live your lives today. You see a picture of Donald Trump? That's what everybody did for eight years when they saw Obama. Your car dies, it's Obama's fault. You lose your job, Donald Trump did it. Listen, don't put your faith in princes. Christ is the everlasting king. He reigns over all kings. Romans 13 says, there is no authority except that which God has granted. And he grants good kings. There are Josiahs and there are Rehoboams. 
you know, we get caught up in this too. We, we love, people love moralizing the Bible. They go into the Old Testament and they find a story of somebody. And they, you got to be like Gideon. You got to be like Solomon. You got to be like David. Have the faith of David. Have, have the faith of Rehoboam. Don't have the faith of Rehoboam. But be like Josiah. You know what happens to every one of those kings? They die. They get conquered. They're dead. But Christ is coming again. To establish his kingdom. And he's beginning it right now with those who have been born again. You are to be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Where Christ reigns. As king he has sovereign dominion over all of us. To tell us what to do and what not to do. To tell us how to worship and what not to worship. Christ is the Lord. He will do with us, his people, whatsoever he pleases for his glory. And yes, good news, believer, for your good. God is a good king. Christ is prophet, priest, and king. What do we have to do? I had this beautiful slide for application. You're not going to see it. Let's see, maybe we'll... Nothing. Okay, draw near to God. There it is, there it is. We have to draw near to God through Christ the mediator. Hebrews 7.19 says this. For the law made nothing perfect. But on the other hand, a better hope is introduced. That is the hope in Christ Jesus through which we draw near to God. As the mediator, the bridge between God and man, the question that God asked Adam in the garden, where are you? Can now be answered, here I am, Lord. The Bible says that through Christ we now cry out, Abba, Father. That God has become our Father now and we are his children. Christ has purchased that for us as the mediator. We are now his children. I've given this illustration before. I have three lovely children. They are, they are my heart. But when they wake up in the middle of the night and barge into my room, they can come in and sleep in my bed. They do other things in my bed because they're my children. Hank, if you come get in bed with me in the middle of the night, I don't know, man. I'm just going to say. It's going to be weird and there's going to be, but you're not my child. But those babies are my children. They have the right to burst open into my door. And as Paul says, enter into the throne boldly. The, the covenant 
that took all of, the, the, all of the slaughtering of animals and the purification of not only the, the priests, the consecration of the priests, but the consecration of the vessels themselves, the lambs without blemish, the cleaning, the washing, the putting blood uh, uh, on our clothes. The priests had to have blood on their clothes. They had to have it on their ears and their thumbs and their toes. Many animals died. All of that, if you, if you go into that sanctuary more than once a year on the seventh month and the tenth day, and you try and have access to God, you're going to die. If you touch that Ark of the Covenant, Uzzah, who tried to keep it from falling, touched it and died. The Bible says, you cannot look at me and, and live. If you look at me, you will die. Moses said, can I see your glory? God said, I won't do that to you, because if you see it, you're going to die. And now the Bible says, as his children, we can come into the throne room boldly? Where's your joy, Christian? Do you understand what the mediator has purchased for you? You're with God. You can cry out to him, Abba, Father. That the Abba is a, it's an Aramaic word, and it just, it's like the first word a baby says, Abba. They cry out, they don't know, they don't even have, the, the, the phrase actually means it's, it's nonsensical. It's just like when we pray to God, we cry out to him, Abba, and, 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 and our Father gives us what we need. The way you give to your babies what they need. That's what the mediator has purchased for you. Today, if you have not received Christ, you can receive him and draw near to God. You can have peace with God. The application is simple. Believe upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Let's pray. Jesus, you are the mediator of the eternal and perfect covenant. We put our faith and our trust in you and in your name alone. Father, I've offered invitations before to this church, then no one's come. I know that there are people here today who need to know Christ as their Savior, who need to receive him as their mediator. I pray that they would not leave here today without doing that. Lord, they in vain cry out to you if they cry out apart from the name of Jesus Christ. It is my prayer, Lord, that this church would be a collective body that recognizes Jesus Christ as the one and only mediator of a new and perfect covenant. Today we praise your name, Jesus Christ. Our brother who purchased for us the opportunity to come before the throne of God boldly and to cry out to you, Abba, Father. Father, hear our words today. Do what is best for us. You know better. Thank you for your salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Amen.